And that's one of the things I used to tell all of my team members, and you can ask them at any time. I was always telling them, EQ, EQ. I don't care how smart you are. Nobody wants to work with a smart jerk. Welcome, everyone, to Culture by Design. And for this episode of our podcast, we have with us Zoe Mitchell from Canada coming to us. What is it, Zoe, outside of Toronto? Yep, just outside of Toronto in Ontario because we have provinces. <laughs> That's right. You have provinces. We have yeah. states. That's right. Thank you for being with us. My pleasure. I'm excited for this conversation. So Zoe, in her 20-year career, she's worked at organizations like... HBC, mm -hmm. Indigo, Walmart, some big organizations, but more important than that pedigree is the way that she works, the way that she interacts, the way that she leads. The, it's, this is amazing. So she was voted most supportive leader by her employees and colleagues and is an award-winning inclusive leader with over 20 years of corporate experience building, leading, and maintaining successful, high-performing, diverse teams. She's a former finance senior leader. Are you a recovering finance senior <laughs> yes. leader? Is that, is that how we, that how yes. we put it, Zoe? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but that's so wonderful, and we'll talk about your rich background and experience. Her results as a, a leader speak for themselves, and she owes it all to her inclusive leadership style. Absolutely. She's also the author of the book, Inclusive Leadership Now, where she takes a day in the life of a leader or someone who wants to be and layers in practical guidance and real examples of how to incorporate inclusion. I'm delighted to spend some time with you, Zoe. So thanks very much. Why don't we do this? Why don't we just get acquainted? And it's kind of an experiment. And I hope for all of the listeners, I want you to think about this. How long does it take to build rapport with someone? Have you ever thought about that? You meet someone and you don't uh -huh. know them. It can take a long time. Zoe, I've worked with people and met people that have worked together for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. They don't really know each other. Absolutely. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. They don't know each other. They log hours and days and weeks and years together and they don't know each other. They've never taken that opportunity and yet it's so vital. It's that intimacy that creates connection. It's often the fear of the unknown that creates difference and division, right? Yeah. So let's get to know you quickly. Yeah. Okay. We'll have a little bit of fun. I want to <laughs> ask you some favorites questions, Ooh. right? And this is top of mind. So what's your favorite cuisine? Jamaican. <laughs> Why is... <laughs> I'm going to guess why that is. My parents are Jamaican. I was brought up in a Jamaican household. Yeah. I grew up with a lot of different foods, but my uh, favorite definitely is Jamaican. That's fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, what's your favorite way to relax? It's going to sound funny, but running. Huh? <laughs> my next question was going to be, what's your favorite way to exercise? I think you just answered both questions. <laughs> soccer. I, I, I do love playing soccer. Soccer, really? Is it? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I play indoor and outdoor. So do you? women's and co-ed. Yeah. Are you a striker? Are you a fullback? What do you? Uh, fullback. I yeah. used to be a striker and went back to sweeping position. The last role I've played on a team is sweeper. So I'm the last one standing. 
<laughs> you know, soccer keeps you fit though, doesn't it? Yeah. What a yeah. great sport. But it makes you turn off. And then How when so? I had bad days, because if you're not paying attention, you'll get hurt. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. And on bad days at work, I can kick a ball. I don't have to worry about kicking someone. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's a good way to go. Oh, yeah. A favorite book, A, right? Not the, but A. Mm. Just one. I'm actually enjoying yours. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm not going to stop you from saying that. I am. I'm actually enjoying yours. <laughs> good. Good. Well, I appreciate that. A favorite movie. Ooh, I'm going to say Amistad. I think it was educational for me. And it also was entertaining because it was a movie. I'm not much of a movie buff, but I think I'm a stud. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you. So let's dig into your life story a little bit, your sure. story. So you grew, did you grow up outside of Toronto? Yeah, I was always in the Burbs. I was born in Toronto, okay. in the heart of Toronto, but yeah. I grew up always in the Burbs. So mm -hmm. I'm not a big city girl. Yeah. I like the Burbs. <laughs> Okay. I now live in the Burbs in a yeah. small town, but yeah. 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 Beautiful. What were you like in high school? Funny enough, I'm introverted naturally, but I can be extroverted. I, I should was, say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was a volunteer student council, but I counseled students younger than me. So I was like a mentor coach, mm -hmm. sort of. Mm -hmm. I was friends with everyone but I didn't have a clique, I would say. So okay. I was more moving around. You'd move around from mm -hmm. kind of group to group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it didn't matter anybody's background. I was talking to somebody who was different. I, I was very interested in different stories, uh -huh. different experiences. So it's something that came naturally to me. And I'd say that carried through through my work and through university. I okay. never stuck in one group. <laughs> Here's a distinction that I'll make in this next question that I think is mm -hmm. fascinating. And that is to what extent, when you look at your career now and you look back, to what extent would you say it's more accidental or planned? Ooh, I'm going to say accidental. Why is that? I grew up being good at math, told myself I wasn't, always wanted to deal with the why around people. So I started university focused on psychology. And my mom kept poking me and said, what are you going to do? Bread and butter courses. Mm -hmm. Stop avoiding math. You're good at math. <laughs> and so I think I did a double undergrad. I did psychology and business. Both. Yep. And I did the business side to appease my mother. Uh -huh. Well, you did go <laughs> into finance, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I would say early on, as I started looking for jobs, I looked into more marketing or something to do with more feeling, touching, mm -hmm. rather than the data side. And then here I am leaving 20 years of finance. Okay, so we need to talk about that. So you go <laughs> on this trajectory, right? And you are a yeah. finance person and yeah. you move up the ranks and you have positions of pretty senior leadership in finance. So would you mm -hmm. say that you then made a pivot so what happened? What happened was Canon happened. I got a job at Canon and I was happy to get a job at Canon. And okay, I'm starting my career. I'm not really looking to do what I was doing. I did budgets and forecasting and P&Ls. And I thought, okay, but it was a dual role. So the dual role was 
you get to do some sales admin and then you get to do some forecasting budgeting on the fun side of products. So I had the power shot cameras and, and video camcorders wow. when they were big. And I thought, okay, I get to test both sides of, of, of the world. Yeah. And I was funneled into the finance side. They took away the sales admin and said, here, stay in the planning side of, of the business. Mm-hmm. And so I just went with the flow. Okay. And then I and thought it carried myself, you. I don't it carried you. For yep, a good long I while. I didn't want to be a leader. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I didn't want to be a leader. I didn't want responsibility of other people's careers. I didn't want to do other people's performance reviews. I ran from it, except it landed in my lap as so well. So hang on a second. So you're saying you consciously wanted <laughs> yep. to be an individual contributor. You didn't absolutely. want to manage other people. No. Was that something that you had felt from the beginning? Was it, where did that come from? That came from, I think, part of it not wanting to be in the spotlight. I think I became aware how different I was once I started applying for jobs. That was the first time I actually experienced what I would say is blatant racism Mm. showing up. And then I became very self-conscious of who I was. And I didn't feel like I fit in. And anything that would bring me spotlight, I kind of backed away from it. But did you begin your career with a high level of what you might call inhibition or... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it increased. It got muzzled. You got muzzled. I got muzzled. You got it. I walked into interviews literally because my name is Greek. <laughs> so I walked into interviews and when I showed up, it didn't match my name. Zoe. And I would see the shock. Yeah. Zoe. It means life in Greek. Mm. But when I showed up and Zoe, who's probably supposed to be Greek, maybe French, I think I've heard it's a French name, I saw the shock on the faces. I had interviews that lasted less than 10 minutes. So it became very jarring to me. And I think subconsciously, I told myself, if I hide and stay small and just do good work, that's good enough. Because at least I got the work. That's what it became. Wow. Yeah, it was jarring. I was shocked because it happened once and I figured out oh, it's a one-off. It's just them. But then it happened a couple of times. And then I'd go to meetings and certain things would happen in meetings. And I would look around and, okay, it's something to do with me. So Zoe, that kind of extinguished your desire to yep. be visible, Yeah. which in, in a management track would be that, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. It would put you, 100%. it would put you on point. It just increases your visibility. 100%. And so you shied away from that mm-hmm. consciously. Yeah. And the odd thing was when I was in grade six, one of my teachers told my parents that I was a natural born leader. And I didn't even know what that meant. Mm -hmm. But once I figured out what that meant and I realized, ooh, that means I have to be very visible. That means I have to speak what I really think and feel. Oh no, I don't know. I don't want to do that. (laughs) And I- So I'm going to guess that along the road then, even with Mm -hmm. these experiences that you had, at some point there was a turning point or maybe it was a gradual transition i don't know but you turned around or pivoted or or did something to acknowledge your strengths and also your motivation and go that way what happened people got handed to me (laughs) okay i didn't have much it wasn't a question somebody got hired and they said oh zoe they're going to report to you and i thought now you have a direct report Now I have a direct report. And then I would say the few roles after that. So going into 
Hudson Bay Company, which was HBC. Then it was, here's a couple more people. And they would be indirect reports. And then there would be great feedback. And I would still, in my back of my mind, say, I don't so know it's, this. They kind of, it just slid mm -hmm. by and you never even really consciously chose it. It just happened. No, just and then happened. here you are, you're a manager. And lo and behold, uh -huh. you're pretty good at it. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. And people like working with you and for yeah. you. Yeah. And so now you can't turn back. Nope. That kind of how it went. <laughs> as much as I yeah. want to. <laughs> so how did you then get out of finance and build this, this consulting practice and do what you do now? Interesting enough, I think my purpose I think is exactly what it was. I was sitting in my role. I will say I wasn't really growing. I was at a point in my career where moving up wasn't really interesting to me. The interesting part became the engagement with my team. Mm -hmm. How can I help somebody get to where they want? How can I help this group of people get to what they want? And that was the only thing keeping me in my corporate jobs. And I think I got to a point where it became too painful for me personally to sit in organizations and not be able to change their culture, but be able to create a culture of my own team that didn't match what I was experiencing. And that's where I became very aware of my purpose was and said, what, what roles or what experiences do I need to create for myself in order to feel like I'm fulfilling this purpose? Mm -hmm. And part of my purpose is actually allowing people to amplify their voices, which is interesting enough because that's what you do in leadership. Yeah. So, but Zoe, that's not the that's not the mindset that so many leaders have, right? What you're telling no. me is that you drew your deepest satisfaction mm -hmm. from helping others succeed, watching that happen. Yes. Yeah. And that yeah. you were you really didn't worry too much about title, position, and authority. No. Not impressive to you. No. Those artifacts, they didn't draw you. No, it's not the big allure. No. Okay. No, it was me. It was more being very self-aware of how can I help somebody to create more of a lasting, I almost call it a legacy. Like, what is the point in all of this? Why am I working so hard? What is all of this for? Does it matter at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. I think is what my brain kept telling me. And so when I was looking to get out of my position, I said, what in the world am I going to do? But I knew whatever it was, it had to be on purpose. Yeah. And so consulting allowed me to stay on purpose. And I was toying with, well, well, what do I consult in? And the things that I noticed with my team is if they felt included, they performed at their best as long as they could work in processes that supported the work. So it was more people and processes, mm -hmm. sort of a two-pronged or P-squared, if you want to call it that. And so I knew that, okay, if I use my experience at least, and then I use that with my purpose, then at least I will always feel like I'm engaged and it won't be painful. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing consulting. I did a lot of subcontracting first and then ended up doing my own consultancy. Mm -hmm. So that's me now. <laughs> it's an amazing story. So with that context in mind, let's talk about what you've learned about mm -hmm. the role of leaders. Yeah, I think for me, Personally, I never looked at how everybody else was leading. I led from a place of what I wish I had, what I wish I didn't have, and what can I do to support somebody else? And I think a lot of leaders 
we get our roles a lot of times, which is how I got mine. It's handed to us as a reward for good independent work. Right. As an individual it's contributor. Right? Absolutely. You it's really not well. something that's handed to you and your support and necessarily on how to be a leader. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why you always hear that manager versus leader conversation, because leading is extremely different from managing. And I think when you can stand in the role and understand if you choose to be a true leader, you have to understand your impacts, your impacts on the things that you say, the impacts on things that you don't say, what you're doing and what you're don't doing, what you're setting up as a culture for your team. You control it because you, you're the one holding everybody accountable, including yourself. And it has to be consistent and it has to be done with authenticity because your team is going to see straight through anything that looks performative, straight through mm -hmm. it, which is why I think for me, having all these painful experiences, it was lessons in what not to do, <laughs> which was great. It's often how we learn the most, right? Yeah. And statistically speaking, we get more of those opportunities than the other, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So we need to learn from those. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go back mm -hmm. to what you said. You're responsible as a leader. You're responsible for the conditions, the climate, yeah. the atmosphere, the culture, the container, yep. the soil. Absolutely. Absolutely. If that's true, then to build on what you said, Zoe, you need a higher level of self-awareness to do that well and to keep and to do it better. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I used to tell all of my team members, and you can ask them at any time. I was always telling them EQ, EQ. I don't care how smart you are. Nobody wants to work with a smart jerk, mm -hmm. right? It's all about how do you show up in the room? understanding your audience. Can people trust you? Can people trust what you're saying? You know, emotional intelligence is how you navigate all these meetings and spaces and the unknowns inside the office, but it's hugely important. You have to have self-awareness. How do you show up? Yeah. How do people perceive you? And especially as leaders, like we do have to know, and there's so many leaders that have no clue. They have no idea. Yeah. We could frame it this way. So you've got your IQ, but let's, we could define that more broadly, your skills, abilities, mm -hmm. knowledge, experience, but your EQ is your delivery system. 100%. And so if your delivery system is underdeveloped or it's broken, it's mm -hmm. not going to go well if you are in the business of leading other humans. Absolutely. Yeah. So related to that, let's talk about, because I know this is the, a big topic for you the role of feedback. Yes. Give us some insights about feedback. So early in my career, I will tell you that I didn't even understand what the word meant, but I knew that because I wasn't getting it, I couldn't navigate what I was doing successfully. It was like landmines. Sometimes I was right, sometimes I was wrong. And that's to me is the importance of feedback because a lot of times we're talking about inclusion in organizations and making choices and decisions with team members, but how do you know you're doing what I would say is the right thing for the, the organization or the group of people that you're leading, unless they tell you along the way, is this working, mm -hmm. right? Is this working? And that's the importance of feedback. And it's also getting it in different ways because you're working with introverts, you're working with extroverts. Some people will come to your office and say, hey, Zoe, that decision or you know that, that process that we just started isn't working. Other people will sit in the chair and say absolutely nothing mm -hmm. unless you reach out to them and provide them with a quiet time of reflection 
to think about what it is that they need in order to be successful. And those are all the ways that we get feedback, but we have to be able to do it in different ways in order to understand, are we navigating this successfully? Are we going to get to our end goal? How are we getting to our end goal? And it's all through feedback. And a lot of leaders don't think about it. They don't want to hear it or they're scared to hear it. Mm -hmm. They don't ask. What have you learned about getting it, how to get it? What advice would you give to other leaders about how to do that better? To be quiet. I think in our leadership roles, a lot of times we feel like we're supposed to have answers to everything and we're supposed to respond. And I would tell people don't. Just listen. Mm -hmm. Listen and ask questions and reflect back what you think you're hearing to make sure that you're not putting biases and filters on the information that's being shared to you. And to be consistent with it. You know, don't get feedback once and figure you have it all handled. Get it repeatedly. It has to be consistent in order to be impactful. But I think a lot of times leaders keep feeling like they have to talk. They have to respond. They have to do something in that moment. Don't. Just listen. Let me see. Listen to understand. Let me see if I've got this, Zoe. So listen, mm -hmm. ask, repeat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing I would say is accountability. Because once someone gives you feedback, the idea is that you're going to do something with it. So holding yourself accountable to an action, a follow-up. Sometimes it's a follow-up conversation. But what are you doing with the information? You have to communicate to the person that you heard them and this is the value of what you've told me. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do with this information? Mm -hmm. So I think following up with accountability and making sure that people know that you're not just asking them to hear them, you're asking them because you're listening and they matter. Yeah. Their opinions matter, their experiences matter, you matter. Yep. And by that, I'm holding myself accountable. Yeah. I've got a related question. So mm -hmm. I remember when I became a manager, and I, <laughs> I noticed a couple of things happen, Zoe, to feedback, uh -huh. to, to a couple of things. One is, so by virtue of this change in position, yep. right? So now I accumulated more positional power. Yeah. Two things happened. One, I got less feedback that was unsolicited. Uh -huh. Number two, the feedback that I got was more filtered. So yeah. there was a quantitative change, I got less. And there was a qualitative change, the feedback was not as good. Absolutely. What do you do? How do you keep that going? What have you learned about how to continue to get high quality feedback, recognizing, as you just said, that many people, mm -hmm. they're not gonna give it to you if it's, they're not going to give you unsolicited feedback. And this notion that I have an open door policy is, is nonsense. Who, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, there may, there may be a person here or there that will come in that is bold, confident, extroverted, has all those qualities that would facilitate yeah. giving you unsolicited feedback. But a lot of people, are never going to do that. No, I think for me, what worked is being vulnerable. So being able to be vulnerable with my team to let them see that, you know what, I don't always have the answers. Sometimes I make mistakes just like you do. And so when you give feedback, it lets people know that you're talking to a human being. You're not talking to a title. Yeah. And I would have a very, I had an open doors policy. It was come in my office and shut the door. And I don't want to hear filters on your words. Speak the way you would speak to someone else in the office, regardless of the title. So <laughs> it took a while, I would say, for people to really trust that I was meaning what I said. Yeah. 
but they watched my actions. They saw whether or not I was being authentic, whether or not I was being transparent, whether or not they could trust that when I said to them, just speak without any filters, what did I do with that? Was there judgment that came at them afterwards? Mm -hmm. No, we were just having a conversation. Feedback should be just a conversation. And so the more that they trusted what I was doing with it, the more open and the more, to your point, quality the feedback became. They might tell me something very high level and then later on they would give me the details. But it was a test that I had to create safety in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of your talents or and has been is that you've been able to create what I call cultural flatness. Mm -hmm. It means we're taking out the barriers that title and position and hierarchy often introduce. Mm -hmm. And you're able to neutralize th those barriers and push them out of the way yeah. so that we have terms of engagement where we feel that we can really communicate and we can share the vulnerability, mm -hmm. so that cultural flatness, right? So with that in mind, how did you do that as you moved to even higher levels of leadership? It can get harder, right? It can get harder. I think knowing my audience was part of it because sometimes I can be very candid. <laughs> I can be very open. And I think that also some members of my team, that would make them uncomfortable because they're looking at me and they're saying, well, the director is being very open with me. What does that mean? So I'd Should have I to be watch worried? my audience. Sorry? Should I be worried? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do well, I, I interpret that? Yeah. I'd have to watch my audience. So sometimes the managers that would report to me versus I also did one-on-ones with their direct reports to give them obviously time to, to meet with me. Yeah. But I, I'd have to be careful. I'd have to remember that even when I say, forget my title, they don't forget your title. No, so you can I, say it. Yeah, and I would, you, I would always say that. But, but you try to minimize yeah. the barrier that that presented. Yeah, and, and that, included, that. that included me leaving meeting rooms. So sometimes I would ask for feedback and I would leave my senior meters, meaning uh, senior managers in the room and I would leave and I'd right. say to them, I want you to all talk it out without me being this lens in the room because I had to be self-aware to say, eh, they're going to mince some of their words, <laughs> even though I say not to, even though yeah. they've been around me for a couple of years, there's still that filter. By virtue of your position. Yeah. yeah. By virtue of my position. So let's shift to, well, it's related. You've talked about this before, the cost of ignoring. Mm -hmm. Huge. Okay. Talk to us about that, Zoe. Yeah. This is something that, that you've gone deeper on than I think most people. Yeah. And I would say from two points of view, your experiential point of view, what mm -hmm. you've experienced yourself. Yeah. And then from an analytical point of view, as a third party observer, as an advisor, as a coach, share with us what you've learned about this. Sure. From personal experience, one would be, I guess, surprised at how frequently people are ignored, even in boardrooms. So from my personal experience, it didn't matter what my title was. I was constantly being ignored based on who was in the room. So. It silenced me. I will tell you, sometimes I sat in meetings and I said nothing. It's not that I didn't have anything to say. I would literally say nothing because of the anxiety 
that I was constantly feeling, the stress I was constantly feeling, because as a leader, as I moved up, I became very aware that even if I was being silenced, sometimes there's politics involved. It could actually impact my team. So there was the politics side of it, as well as microaggressions of being ignored. And then the cost physically that it was doing to me with the anxiety and so on. From a, I think, an advisory perspective is a lot of times we ignore people. And it seems like something's really small that we just do sort of a dismissive way to silence a conversation that we don't want to have, maybe. But when it's done in a group environment, we don't realize we've silenced the entire room. Because we just told the entire room, when you try to ask a question, when you challenge the status quo, this is also what's going to happen to you. And so even, I think, in that moment, you'll watch people's body language, they shut down. It quiets the room. It's no longer safe to challenge, to speak up about something, to share an opinion, to be seen as different in the room. It silences mm-hmm. everybody. It happened to you, but mm-hmm. everyone's watching. Absolutely. Everyone's observing. Everyone's doing threat detection. Yes. Everyone can see mm-hmm. the response to your act of vulnerability. So if you got punished yep. instead of rewarded for that act of vulnerability, yeah. it's not lost on us. No, it's not. We're getting that. No, it's not. It's pretty sad because I had a meeting with a, a, a smaller group of an, a large organization And they were having a challenge because they had written a letter to an executive who in the meeting offended a lot of people, but nobody said anything. So they Mm. put themselves out there, wrote a letter, and were publicly shamed by that same leader about their letter. Ooh. Yeah. But again, so not only was it a whack the first time, (laughs) you got another, a heavier brick just fell on your head. To remind you to stay quiet and be in your place. Yeah. And when you think about, you know, innovation in an organization, how can you innovate when you're not allowed to express ideas, when you're not sure if that idea is a good idea because it came from you, right? It shuts everything down. And it doesn't really matter where the idea came from. No. no. With innovation, right, Zoe, it's going to be a collaborative process anyway. Yep. And so we need divergent thinking. We need lateral thinking. We need people to verbalize all of those things, the ideas, the challenges, the expressions of dissent, Mm -hmm. the disagreement, the collisions. That's all the raw material. Yep. (laughs) Yep. It's ironic because on the one hand, we're saying we need to innovate. Mm -hmm. It's our lifeblood of growth. But on the other hand, we're not setting up the conditions that would nurture that. 100%. And if the other thing is when we hear about whistleblower acts, mm-hmm. that's all people that have been ignored. There's things that happen. There's a, a bigger impact or trickle down when people are ignored in an organization, right? Look at the shuttle, the crash of the shuttle. That yeah. was someone being ignored. Right. There's other companies that are constantly ignoring employees. And it's huge consequences. There's security breaches on credit cards from companies. And I think all of those things that there's a huge impact. Can you imagine airbags and in cars and ignoring people is very, very costly to all of us. So let me get a little bit personal mm-hmm. again then, Zoe. So you, you went through this yourself. Yeah. How did you develop, gather, express, figure out how to be resilient? And it's kind of the distinction that we make where, 
you have two people, they go through the same distressing experience, mm -hmm. traumatizing experience. On the other side, one develops PTSD. Yeah. The other develops post-traumatic growth. And that's what happened to you, mm -hmm. I think. That's what I'm hearing. How did you do that? It's funny. I had an interview with someone and I was sharing, they were asking me questions and those past experiences came up. And I think part of what I was doing was moving forward, as you say, got the lesson, move forward, got the lesson, move forward, navigate, navigate, navigate. And part of it was because I knew once that moment was finished, I had to face my team. And on my team were young women looking up at me and saying, I want to be just like you. And in my mind, I'm saying, how do I get them there? Even though this has happened to me, how do I get them there? Mm -hmm. And in that interview, when she was bringing up all these moments, she said to me, how in the world did you get through all of that? Like, how do you even get up in the morning if that's what you know you're going to face every day? And I exactly. said, "Exactly." I don't think I told myself I had a choice. I don't think it was an option for me to tap out. And maybe it's my upbringing. It was keep it moving. And maybe I also told myself, keep it moving. You got stuff to do. But it's not. That stuff to do was my team. Well, that's what I'm hearing, Zoe. It's mm -hmm. not just about you. You have this massive no. sense of stewardship yeah. that goes beyond you. Yeah. And that fueled your motivation and gave you a depth of resilience that perhaps most people just, they're having a hard time finding. Yeah. That's amazing. I think early on in my career, I will tell you, one of the first jobs that I started, I struggled because I was set up to fail. And in that struggle, because it was one of my first jobs, I said, I, I got to figure this out. I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure this out. And I had my first performance appraisal sort of an ad hoc one popped up. And in that meeting, my leader told me, I don't think you belong here. Those are the exact words. I don't think you belong here. I think maybe you should go and do something more like sales or marketing. And he held his hands up to me to show me the difference between someone who's doing budgets and forecasting and somebody who's doing all that other soft stuff. Mm -hmm. And a month later, less than a month later, Tim, I got promoted by his boss. And I think I learned in that really? moment, yeah, it was bizarre. I thought it was a joke. It was actually sick. I thought, I thought it was a joke because I was waiting to be walked out of the organization any moment, every day for a few weeks that followed that meeting. And it taught me in that moment that one person's opinion of me mm -hmm. doesn't matter if I decide it. That's one thing you learn, Zoe, mm -hmm. clearly, that there are simply some voices and some opinions and some people yeah that you don't listen to no nope. their vote doesn't count absolutely and that's essential yeah for your own growth and development yeah but yeah. i think that that also kept me moving so to speak in, in those moments where i was being ignored so here's the irony mm -hmm. you're sharing with us your personal experiences of having your vulnerability punished absolutely again and again and again and yet what you're saying to me zoe is you need to be a vulnerable leader. Do you see the irony? <laughs> you're sharing, you're sharing punished vulnerability and all of these experiences that you've had mm -hmm. in which your vulnerability has been punished. And you're saying, oh, you can't do that. You need to be a vulnerable leader. So help us understand how we reconcile this because you've been through so much 
punished vulnerability and now you're an advocate of vulnerable leadership. Yes. I think that's the only way we we get buy-in from our teams. I think that being vulnerable allows them, it also allows them to understand that even through mistakes, even through failure, I too can get to where you are. Because if there's this false pretense of, well, I have to be perfect and everything has to be done right in order to get to where you got to. No, I failed. You made a mistake. Don't worry, I made some along the way too. And if I'm vulnerable enough to show you that this is how I navigated through that. This is also what happened to me. You're okay about sharing that. Yeah, you can do it too. But I share those things. And I know a lot of leaders who don't. What's the difference then? If you share or you don't share, what's the net impact of that? It kind of goes back to, we talked about this before, being real. Yes. And that's not just some secondary thing no in leadership so maybe share a little bit about that what does that mean to you yeah for me it meant that people had buy-in that i was being authentic to what i was saying it meant that i'm gonna have good days just like you i'll have bad days but i can still be a human being not a human doing when i'm in the workplace you can still see me as a person someone that you can have a joke with, someone who actually is funny sometimes. <laughs> I used to do some silly things in the office, <laughs> including a moonwalk down the hallway once when I saw my team was really intense in a moment and it got everybody laughing. And you know what? I can be silly, yeah. but I can also have high standards because I'm human, yeah. right? And I know you're going to make a mistake because I've made them too. And so you well, get that trust and that buy-in and you get faster I would say faster reactions from teams, knowing that my intent is to always have best intentions for you, even if I make a mistake. So that's a very interesting connection. So Mm -hmm. your genuineness, your being real, your authenticity translates into efficiency and productivity. That's interesting. Absolutely. 100%. You get very quick buy-in. I don't have to spend my time maybe arguing my case. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you're sitting in a meeting and you get that side eye of, mm, I don't know if I'm buying into what she's saying. Even if they don't, they're buying it anyways because it's coming from me. Because so is they this, know I'm keeping it real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is this another area where professionally, Zoe, you learned from people what not to do? Yeah. Where they often were not real. Maybe they were much too staged and scripted and rehearsed. Is that true? Yes, 100%. Did you you have a lot of that? Yeah, I would say in 20 years, I've had one real leader. 20 years. That's a bit of an indictment. Which is kind of scary. (laughs) But it makes you also feel like you can't fail. Like you can't be real in the workplace. You can't bring your authentic self. And we're talking a lot about inclusion and belonging and feeling safe psychologically to be yourself, but your leader is demonstrating to you that it is not safe to do so because they refuse to do it. Everything they do it. They're the leader. Yeah. They're the leader and they're not willing to do it. So it must be expensive. Yeah. Why aren't they? So I can't do it. No. And if I have to be like that to be in their so-called level in the organization, maybe they don't want to do that. And then they leave. (laughs) Yeah. That's more work for me. Right. So that's true. It is. It's taxing. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's incredible. Your story is a beautiful story 
of resilience, of overcoming obstacles. And your platform of credibility at this point, Zoe, is powerful. Thank you. It's really powerful. So talk a little bit about the the rewards of doing what you do today now. After all of these years, after you get to harness the power of the things that you've learned. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the the rewards now. Someone asked me, they said to me, how many days a week do you work? And I said, I work seven days a week. And they're like, I said, it doesn't feel like working. I don't feel like I'm working anymore because I'm doing what I need to do to fulfill my purpose. This work is very fulfilling for me. It's taxing and it's heavy. Yeah. But I don't wake up every morning with that, oh, I got to get up. So for me, that's rewarding. I also get, I like change. It's very different. <laughs> I do like change, but this work allows me to constantly be in change, changing industries, changing audiences. Um, I get to work with different people from different parts of the world, different generations, mm -hmm. but it allows me to also, I would say, learn a lot. I'm an avid learner. I'm always trying to learn something. And, uh, it allows me to learn. So for me, the rewards are self-fulfilling. <laughs> as much as I'm giving and as much as I'm sharing my stories with people, mm -hmm. the other thing is too that I get to see the immediate impacts. I gave a, a talk the other day at one of the hospitals far from here. And the next day, it was so rewarding, Tim. The next day I got an email and said, someone said to me, thank you. I walked away and used that micro intervention at a meeting that someone was being ignored and they yeah. thanked me afterwards. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so for me, and that's, that's rewarding. It, it could be the deepest form of compensation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. that making lasting change. That's my ultimate goal. Like to be in a world where people can go to work and be themselves and know that they are armed with what to do to be in a situation to support somebody else, to speak up for themselves, the value other people's, that value the differences of others. I think it's amazing. Yeah. So to be a catalyst, someone who can move things forward is rewarding. <laughs> it's rewarding. I get to meet lots of great people. That's fantastic. Well, mm -hmm. Zoe, as we conclude our conversation today, I want to just give you a compliment, and that is you are real. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And I hope that that is a high compliment. It is. It but is. you really are. You're so easy to get to know and to work with. And it just shows you that collaboration happens better and faster Yeah. this way. Yes, it does. Just these few minutes together, it's a case study that it does work. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. I'll give you the last word. <laughs> so what would you like to share? <laughs> with the listeners, with the world, anything, you got it. I think I would like to remind people to fail forward. That's the only way we're growing. That's the only way we're learning. Don't be afraid of trying something new or making yourself uncomfortable. It's so worth it in the end. It mm -hmm. really is. Fail forward. That's fantastic. Well, Zoe, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's an absolute delight to have had you. No, thank you for having me. This has been a fun conversation. <laughs> it has, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it has. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Thanks for joining me today on the Culture by Design podcast. Be sure to subscribe and listen to new episodes every week. 
And if you'd like to see more of the work we're doing, go to leaderfactor.com.